The following is provided by Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, and available at itunes.covenant.edu. In January and February each year, we hear news that makes us sit up and take note. Warnings that a cold front from Canada is on its way. When it comes, it brings dropping temperatures, icy roads, snow, and possibly burst pipes. I'm a Canadian, and I say when I hear this news, well, at least Canada is known in the South for something. John Smed from Vancouver is with us not to bring a change in the weather, although did you notice how cool the nights have been since he came? But he's here to caution us that more and more in North America, our living for Christ, our serving Jesus Christ, must play out in a culture which is more skeptical and more hostile than at any time in recent memory. And what is playing out now in Vancouver and other West Coast cities will in short order be on all of our doorsteps. How will we serve Christ at this critical time? John Smith has been my friend since 1986, and I urge you to listen to him closely today, now and at 7.30 this evening. Join me in welcoming our speaker. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. Ken and I go way back to the prairie revivals of the 80s, right, Ken? <laughs> In Canada, if three people get converted, it's a revival, all right? <laughs> okay, true spirituality, swimming in the river of relationships. I'm going back to, to uh, Joshua tonight because I want it to be very interactive and uh, I want to hear, be challenged from you. But today I just want to talk about fellowships. How many of you have seen the movie Wally? Great. It's a great movie. And it's not a children's movie. I would not take my grandchildren to that movie. I don't want them to have apocalyptic visions of planet Earth, frankly. Um, the, the, the movie actually is uh, written by people who are very media savvy. And uh, as you know, what happens is Earth is all filled with garbage. They take up these spaceships. Most of the human race is, is living in the, in the uh, outer space in these, in these um, capsules. And uh, they live in large, large, massive communities but uh, they live on conveyor belts and everything is done for them. So if they wake up in the morning and the conveyor belt puts them over and brushes their teeth and then they move over to breakfast and the conveyor belt takes them to lunch, dinner. and the... So it's morning till night, womb till tomb. From the day they're born till they die, they live on these conveyor belts. And all of life is perceived through these little computer screens. So they have all their relationships, uh, permanent Facebook, in other words, where all their relationships are done on computer screens. And uh, what happens to them living in outer space is they, their muscles begin to atrophy, and frankly, they get very fat. And their muscles begin to atrophy, and if they try to stand, they basically totter like bowling pins until they fall over. They've lost that ability, but they've also lost the ability to communicate. They don't know how to converse anymore. They don't know how to interact. They never touch each other. They're ultimately totally isolated and living in this virtual world and on this conveyor belt. 
And this conveyor belt existence is what these media theorists are telling us where we are today. We go into cyberspace in many different ways, whether through the cell phone, uh, through the iPod, through the Palm Pilot, through different ways. We too can go womb to tomb now. They've just added internet in space, literally in airplanes now you can log on. That's the latest thing. So note 24-7, morning till night, womb till tomb, you can be logged on to interactive virtual relationships and virtual life. You no longer have to experience life directly and immediately. I talked to a young man this week and he told me about his wife going through a desperate period of depression. And, uh, and uh, he told me also at the same time that every day she keeps up with 300 friends on Facebook. I mean, not 300 friends every day, but she has 300 friends that she's keeping up with regularly. Yet, what is her desperation stemming from? Loneliness and isolation. Well, in this uh, movie, the only way to get uh, into real life and real relationships and prepare for life on planet Earth is to get off the conveyor belt. There's two ways to get off. One is to get tipped off when Wally bumps into you and knocks you over, and the other is to step off that conveyor belt and decide to interact with people personally. And when somebody tips off, it's like they, they wake up from a bad dream and all of a sudden they see the stars and the skies, they see the world around them, and they might accidentally touch someone and they'll feel that touch and they'll say, oh, there's another human being there, and they'll introduce themselves to each other. And all of a sudden, because they stepped off the conveyor belt, they moved into the world of real relationships and real interaction with, uh, with the planet around them. Well, true spirituality, one of the predominant metaphors of the Bible is a river. It's a river that flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It's a river which issues forth from the side of Jesus Christ. It provides cleansing, healing, and power. It's this river that is deep and wide. In Ezekiel, we read that it gets deeper and wider, and we're invited to step into that river and go deeper and go wider. It begins at the throne with our justification with our regeneration, the day we become a believer where we are adopted in, as children of God, where we are uh, united to Jesus Christ, where we are inhabited by the Holy Spirit, that's the beginning of the river. All of our life is spent in that river. As we participate in it, we're invited to grow deeper as we're cleansed, forgiven, renewed, and strengthened in that river. Trees are alongside that river, and these trees are for what? Bearing fruit for our nourishment, our sustenance, and our strength. And leaves that are healing for us and for the nations. Well, in this river of grace is uh, relationships with God and with others. It is all about relationships. It's not a solo journey. It's not something automatic like a conveyor belt. You have to step into it. You have to participate in it. And it's not something solo. You must join with others to be a part of it. That's what the Christian life is about. Its ultimate measure and purpose is relationship with God and with each other, and they are inseparable. Now, some of you today have forgotten that. You've gotten caught up in the conveyor belt. You've lost touch with others, perhaps with God, and probably with yourself. And unless you wake up, you have this inner fear and awareness that you might just go deeper and deeper and never come back to the real world. 
Others of you are experiencing something different at Covenant. What you're experiencing is an interaction with people, new friends, new relationships, a new sense of purpose, a new community, new sights, new touches, new conversations, praying together. You're beginning to experience reality. I want to talk about that. Just read one passage from the Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, about how we are interrelated as a body. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts, and though its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. We have all been given one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a part of the body, it did, I, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and every one of you is a part of it. I just want to pray briefly before we consider this. Father, we have 20 minutes here. But 20 minutes with the Holy Spirit is a lifetime compared to our own efforts, our own machinations. And we pray, Lord, that we would interact with you and be part of that body in this service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The scriptures begin with this assumption and salvation starts with the idea that we're all one. This is where the Christian life starts. Just like it starts with adoption, justification, we are brought into realities that is instantaneous and permanent. We are one in Christ and that is a gift. At the moment the river begins to flow, we have become one with a group of people. Galatians 3, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you were baptized into Christ in that river and have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ. Now this oneness, the metaphor that I'm using today, and there are several others, but that is the body, and Christ is the head, and the Holy Spirit is the soul. That's the metaphor. We're the parts of the body, the members, the physical extensions of the body, but the Holy Spirit is the soul, and Christ is the head. Listen to this. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. So that again talks about that. Thirdly, this oneness is the deepest, richest, permanent unity imaginable. The mystical union with Christ and the mystical union with the body of Christ is the ecstatic and, and um, the ecstasy of the Christian relationship is experienced in that oneness. The highest experiences we will ever have in existence, much higher than any physical experience that can be imagined, though that's hard to imagine, it's higher than any physical experience we can imagine, is our deepening awareness and experience of oneness with Christ and oneness with each other. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 1, a passage that uh, the waters are far too deep to understand what it's saying. God placed all things under his feet. And appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let me just say that again. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
In other words, if you say, if I'm going to be a Christian, I want all of Jesus, not just a little part. He says, I've got good news for you. His body is the fullness of Jesus Christ, who is the one who fills everything in every way. So if you want a cosmic, supernatural experience of religion, it happens in the people of God. Now you might say, just a second, pastor, I don't feel that at all. In fact, when I go to church, my voltage decreases from 120 to about 6. I don't think I could light a candle. My mother has a disorder called cardiopulmonary obstruction. And the nature of that is old people, she's 82, what happens is your blood ceases to flow properly to the extremities of your body. Tips of your fingers, the end of your toes. And it's because the blood isn't getting there, you lose feeling. And when you lose feeling, it's very dangerous because if you get a little wound or something like that, it can easily become infected. And they literally, older people lose fingers and, and toes and they lose limbs and it's, it's, it's a tragic th- circumstance. Cardiopulmonary obstruction. I want to suggest to you that if you don't feel one with the body of Jesus, you have cardiopulmonary obstruction of the soul. You've lost touch with the head. You've lost touch with the heart. The blood that invigorates this body is not reaching you. You've gone too far to the fringe. You've maybe stepped off the, you got onto the conveyor belt and it's taken you far away. But you've lost the feeling which is meant to be the richest, deepest experience of Jesus Christ you can have. And you need to get off that conveyor belt, back on. Just take a moment now. Who am I talking about that's going to give you this rich, deep experience? Look to the person beside you. Come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Yes, it's them. (laughs) Scary, eh? Wow. Hey, somebody there. This is your forever family. This is the body of Christ. This is who you are one with. This is where the ecstasy of the Christian religion is meant to happen and can happen and some of you know does happen. To me, when I became a Christian out of being a non-Christian, a loneliness and isolation and fear, the most exciting thing in the world was to meet another Christian. They must have thought I was strange because I just jumped all over them and I wanted to get to know them. We could be best friends. You want to live at my place? Everything, you know? (laughs) Didn't matter, you know? Strange, but I just thought this was so amazing. We get to live together forever. It's something we need to see. But not only are we one, we're also becoming one in heart and mind. Listen to what we read in the book of Ephesians. We're not only one, but we have to work at that oneness. Make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the the measure of the fullness of Christ. So this says something interesting. It says that um, we are one, but we need to grow in that oneness and in that fullness. It's just like you become a believer, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, but you're told to be continually filled. 
You're justified, but you're told to rejoice in your justification and grow in that. And it says here, if you appreciate the oneness you have in Jesus Christ and you cultivate it, you will be growing towards that fullness that we've talked about. Appreciating and growing in it. Now, for example, denominations. People of different beliefs and views. I'm talking now about people who are Christians who believe the Bible, but have all kinds of wacky and wonderful views, whether, you know, gifts of the Spirit or baptism or, you know, all kinds of things, but people who believe in the Lord, and you say, I'm separated from them. Well, every denomination is a tributary in the one river of grace. If you look at how rivers, they start at the top of a mountain, they flow from the ice pack and from the glaciers, they come down that hill. Well, at first, when you get at, a, at, a, at the apex or at the, at the top point of an elevation in a mountain pass, it's a little trickle that comes down. But then you go 20 miles down the road, and that's become a small river. And then you go another 20 miles, it's become a ro- raging river, and finally it finds itself in the ocean or in, the, in a lake. Those tributaries that come down and feed that river are like denominations. They're all part of one river. That's what the Bible's saying. So cultivating our unity with others is essential. And I I know that covenant works on that. In other words, we're not concerned that you only agree with other people that hold certain theological and biblical views. You know, I'm a Westminster Confession man. I personally am. But we are one with the entire body of Christ and we have to cultivate that oneness. Augustine said something significant. He said, a person's weight is their love. A person's weight is their love. In other words, what do you weigh? How much gravity do you have? What is your significance? How much are you fulfilling your purpose in life? Is your love and how much you appreciate your oneness in Jesus Christ and cultivate that oneness is what you weigh. Everything else is dust and ashes and weighs nothing. You get across the finish line, they're going to have a big fat weigh scale there. And they're going to weigh you. And the only thing that's going to weigh anything on that weigh scale is love. So we have to cultivate and grow in that. Now what is that oneness that we share in? We share in our relationship with God and with each other. There's two things I want to talk about. I want to talk about our co-extensive relationship with God with one another and our symbiotic relationship with one another. I'm going to explain those words. Our relationship with one another is coextensive with our relationship with Jesus Christ. There's an interesting passage in 1 John that puts this very clearly. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make your joy complete. Did you see the way the sentence structure worked, the grammar? We write this to you so you can have fellowship with us. We'll all have fellowship together. And our fellowship is with God the Father and with Jesus Christ. In other words, fellowship with God is fellowship with each other. Fellowship with each other is fellowship with God. Now, my mother was a weaver early in her marriage, and my dad helped her at night. This is how they made some extra money. And a weaver set up, a loom is set up this way. You have two uh, wooden or iron rods that go horizontal. The vertical strands are tied to each end. They provide, you know, a strong structure for um, for the tapestry. 
And you have to have that warp in order to do that. So, uh, but I want to say, if a garment was only warp, it wouldn't keep you very warm at night, would it? It wouldn't provide very much help for you. Firm, solid, but it's not tied together. It hasn't got any color. It hasn't got any texture. Well, what they would do is they would move the warp back and forth, and they would shoot the loom through, uh, and uh, the, the, whatever they call that thing, you know the thing. Anyway, they shoot it through, and it provides the horizontal fabric, and back and forth and back and forth, and what do you get out of that? It ties it together. It gives it texture, gives it, tech, uh, gives, gives it fabric, gives it reality, gives it color. That's the way it is with our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is like a tapestry. It is so interrelated with our relationship with the other, you can't have one without the other. They fall apart. And if you think spirituality means just having a close relationship with God, that's just the vertical. It, it doesn't have the texture. And it also uh, uh, needs the horizontal to be that single fabric. The two go together. What this means is, first of all, that um, our relationship is, what next is our relationship is symbiotic. It's coextensive and symbiotic. What do I mean by that? I mean that we need each other desperately. And our need for God is expressed in needing each other. And our ministry to God is expressed as we minister to each other. Listen to this passage in Ephesians 4. From Jesus Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its, does its work. From him, the whole body is tied together as each ligament works and builds itself up in love. Now, what an interesting idea. What is that saying? It's saying, I love Jesus Christ by loving you. Jesus says about the poor, the needy, the oppressed, if you do it to the least of these, you actually did it to me. In fact, I want you to do it to me by doing it to the least of these. And if I'm going to experience Jesus Christ, his primary way of mediating that to me is through you. Jesus does not give gifts of the Spirit. He gives people who are gifts. You are God's gift to me where I discover and experience God. I, in turn, am God's gift to you, sometimes. God's gift to you, where you get to experience something of God. And that's how it works in the body. Symbiotic means something else. It means we feel with and for each other. We feel with and for each other. If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part rejoices, every part rejoices with it. Wow, that's symbiosis, right? And if you don't feel the hurt, you have somebody in your dorm, your, your uh, resident area, and they're hurting, and you don't feel it. I'm not asking you to stop, you know, and quit studies and everything else like that, but if you know they're really hurting, you don't feel it. You can't stop for a moment in prayer. You've lost that feeling. You've lost that symbiosis. And we need to cultivate and find it afresh. Okay, now, let me talk about now that we've talked about stepping off the conveyor belt, stepping into relationships, I want to talk about working out, enjoying that river of relationships. In Wally, each person has to step off that conveyor belt into the world, real conversation of life, touching and caring. 
Every one of those persons has to go through this change. The inertia, the comfort, the, the convenience. It's so easy to get on that conveyor belt. It's so hard to get off. And it, it's so awkward. And I feel like such a, such a clumsy oaf as I'd get off. I'd, I'll just get back on. It's just so much easier than developing the muscles of conversation, the touch, the, converse, the, the ability. I think one of the, the two most radical activities in the world today are personal conversation and prayer. They are so anti-conveyor belt. And I'm going to take 30 minutes to talk with you. I saw a girl in the, in the cafeteria this morning writing a letter to her friend and she was dipsy-doodling and making this interesting pattern out of it. That's radical, a handwritten letter to a friend somewhere? That's amazing. Really, this, this is how we're going to be different in our world, is we're going to not just log on, but we're going to experience each other personally. My wife and kids and I, we hug each other, we, we kiss each other, we touch each other. I call my son Honey. No wonder he's having troubles in life. I call him Honey all the time. He's, I've never distinguished between my daughters and my sons, and we're always touching and hugging each other. I saw someone yesterday I hadn't seen for seven years, and I was at her, her father's funeral, and we just had to hug each other eight or nine times in an hour, and we just had to hug each other because we, we had these fond shared memories, and then we held each other's hands and we prayed for each other. It was so amazing. You know, I just, what if I'd walked up to this beautiful young lady who I saw grow from a little little tiny girl, and I said, oh, hi, how are you doing? Yeah, me too, I'm doing fine, thanks. And I had a call, well, that would be so ugly. You know, I know there's discretion, but we need to restore the ability of holy kissing. Kiss one, greet another, another, another kiss of love. We need to restore, men need to learn to hug each other and touch each other and be close to each other physically, I'm serious. Right, go ahead, do it right now, go ahead. Come on, guys. Oh, that's so good. All right. Praise the Lord. Hey, take it easy. My contacts are steaming up here. Okay. So I know I want to I just end with, with, I think, a little tender thought here. There's a lot of you here who are lonely who are fearful, who are isolated, who don't have a, a lot of friends, and, and perhaps you don't quite know how to move into that. Maybe all of us experience that quite a bit of the time. I do. Honestly, I do. I have a, you know, a lot of people around me, but that doesn't mean I'm not lonely and hurting and afraid sometimes. It's hard to leave the comfort. It's easier to log on. It, that laziness of being carried along, it's hard to leave the isolation. But if you don't, you're headed to deeper loneliness and fear. It seems like you're connecting with people, but you're not. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies, little luxuries, and with the web... Facebook, everything else, avoid every entanglement, lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, and motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. I want to encourage you today to step into relationships. The Church of Jesus Christ 
is pictured as a banquet, a wedding feast. The invitation is extended to you. The wine and the rich fare is there. We are to drink deeply of our fellowship and enjoy it. We come together in sacrament. We come together in prayer. We come together in fellowship. We need to step into those relationships and begin to work out the life of the body of Jesus Christ. This is how the body grows. Now you say, I don't have time for that. Oh yes, you do. I'm sorry. These busy people in the first century met daily in the temple to be with each other. They met each and every single day. We do and must have time to cultivate the relationships. And the last thing I want to say is this. If you're hurting, if you're lonely, if you're feeling this isolation, if you're addicted to the conveyor belt, which we all become, step off and ask someone to help you. There are students in this student body. There are leaders in this student body. There are uh, professors and there are teachers and there are chaplains that will listen to you. Sound the alarm. Step into someone's life and ask for help. And the second thing I want to say, for those of you who are socially adept, who have friends, who are able to kind of make it through and have some kind of popularity, do not be ashamed to associate with those that are different than you. Do not despise someone because they don't have your social graces. You are obliged. You must find that lonely, lost person. I promise you, wherever I've gone into a new situation, I look for the nerd and the geek and the disconnected person, and I make a friend for life. And some of my closest friends are the people that I sought out because I was lonely at that stage of my life. And they appreciated and valued it. So you know what? There should not be one single lonely, afraid person on this campus. If each one of you, who, who even if you don't have those graces, there's others, somebody who like people don't have those social graces. It's good. Find one, two, or three other people to befriend. Step off the conveyor belt. Step into the river of grace. Go deeper. Get involved in these relationships. You will see the joy of the gospel. Listen to what it says in Acts 2. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, our head and our Savior, the bringer of this river of life and river of relationships to us. Help us to take care of each other, to build one another up in love. We pray that at this campus there would not be one person lonely, afraid, and isolated who is willing to step out of that and look for help. Give us eyes to see, Lord, and help us to one, love one another deeply, tenderly, forgivingly, and from the heart. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen.
The preceding was provided by Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, and available at itunes.covenant.edu.